Today, the message is going to wrap up this idea of City Chapel Reborn. And from next week, I'm going to start to move into something else. Today's message is what church... This is a, a record, okay? I, I, I'm going to note this day as the record of the longest sermon title I've ever used in 20 years of ministry. I have never used a title this long before, and I literally, it's 20 years. I started at 19, and I'm 39 right now, and so in 20 years of ministry, I've never used it. So the title is, actually, let's read it together. You ready? One, two, three. What chargers are for my phone, prayer is for my heart. We're going to be talking about that today. My main idea is this. If I'm not praying daily, I'm trying to operate with a dead battery. That's the premise of today's message. We find ourselves in Matthew chapter 25. Please flip there. We're going to read from verse 1. Matthew 25, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Jesus is teaching again two days before Passover, before he is going to be betrayed, ultimately delivered up and crucified. And so it's the tail end of his ministry. He's having this private conversation with his disciples, giving them the gist, uh, the real important stuff right before uh, he heads to Calvary. And so it's definitely an important private discussion that he's having, telling them of the very, very jewels of the faith. And 25 is no different. The first 13 verses, it says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. And now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. And later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered and he said, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Amen. Dina, would you just turn on that spot for me? There's a switch right on the, uh, right over there. This message with this being the premise if i am not praying daily i'm trying to operate with a dead battery all of you i would assume have one of these things can i mean i give you permission please take it out just flash it in front of me i want to see what kind of phone you have all right all right all right are we iphone heavy or android we're definitely iphone heavy kind of yeah okay well good thank you you can have it next to you as a as your own visual reminder and example today 
Now this particular parable of these virgins and lamps and oil and flasks, we're going to kind of decode all of that today and talk about what it means for us on a day-to-day basis, for us as Christians living today. As I start out, let me say what maybe would be some useless things. Slapping the title church on the side of a building in that community of people having zero influence where they're at. Maybe even appearing as a Christian myself and not living a spirit-filled life. Going home, having a working stove and all of your cooking utensils, but having no food to cook. Having a birthday cake and having candles on it, but having no lighter. Right? Having a lamp, but having no oil. Having a flashlight during a blackout, but it having no batteries. Right? And so you have the shell of something to do something, but without an integral part of it that dwells inside of it, or that you're trying to use it with or for that what you see on the outside, that those things become tremendously useless. Useless. Let me give you a parallel of our parable today. Let's say I took 10 of you, okay? Just 10 of you over here, okay? And I said to you, you know what? Um, I am going to give you the most amazing gift of your entire life, and I want you to meet me in downtown L.A., all right? The only thing is, when you get up there, I'm going to call you, okay? So have your phone ready. And if that was the only instruction that I gave 10 of you, meet me in downtown LA, and I will give you the most amazing gift of your entire life, and the only thing is have your phone ready, because I'm going to call you. What is the most important thing that you need to take? Your phone, absolutely. More than your wallet, a change of clothes, a snack for the day. Doesn't matter anything else. You gotta have your, you gotta bring the phone because this is the vehicle by which I am going to contact you. Now, if you were smart, you would not only bring your phone, you would also bring a? Absolutely. Thank you, Mimi, right? Absolutely. You deserve two peace signs for that, okay? You would bring a charger. I mean, I gave you no instruction as to when I would meet you, only that I would meet you. And if you have your phone and it's juiced up for today, great. I mean, i got a full battery, full bars, whatever it might be, and I'm on my way. But if you are wise, you will think ahead and think about bringing a phone charger, an external battery of sorts, something to replenish the battery and the power within the phone itself. And so, going to the parable... Let me say this, the lamp of the parable is your Christian appearance, looking like a Christian, having a lamp. They all had a lamp, right? It was all working and appearing from the outside. As the world sees me, I look like a Christian. I attend church. I I don't do completely evil things. I, I might sin from time to time, but I do feel bad and have remorse for that. I try to repent and do things that are good in society and with my neighbors and in the world. And I have an appearance as a Christian. And what would the oil be? The oil 
is like a spirit-filled life. And so you have a shell of Christianity and the oil inside that gives flame in here, that gives the fuel to the fire. This is the presence of God's Spirit. That it's not looking like a Christian that makes us Christian. It is having the Spirit of God inside of me by which I'm a Christian. And so I can go to church as I did many years of my teenage life. I went right from from early childhood, as early as I can remember, probably from birth. In my mother's womb I went to church, but I was not a Christian. I I went to to children's Bible studies. I I went to camp and and I did pray. When I was a teenager, I went to church. I ditched most of the time. I went to the pool hall down the street, yeah. And I took my offering and I went to Poncho's and bought a taco or played Street Fighter 2, you know. Even though I, I, I had the motion of a Christian, the appearance of a Christian, I was not. Because a Christian is a person who has the Spirit of God inside of them. God's Spirit. So what is the flask then? I want to say the flask is a prayer-connected life. Because there are three important things in our parable. The lamp, the oil, and the flask. All ten had the lamp and at least a bit of oil in there. Only five of them had a flask of oil. And the flask is representative of something very important. And it's talking about not just having a lamp that is functioning and has oil presently in it, but is understanding that I need to continually replenish the oil that is inside of the lamp. It is this understanding, it is this knowledge that separated the wise from the foolish. The flasks. Not the lamp, not the oil. The flasks. And this is what we want to talk about today. That flask. And what that means for us. And so let me give you the parallel of today, okay? Your smartphone is the lamp, your battery is the oil, and the charger is the flask. This is exactly it. Now, in our world today, we know the value of a smartphone. I mean, a lot of us, you, you pay like minimum 600 bucks up to $850 for this thing if you bought it new. You get it used. You buy a three-year-old smartphone and you still got to fork over 300 bucks for that thing. It's like, what? What happened here? What's going on? Right? And so this thing is tremendously expensive. It can do a lot. Many people say it's got more power than the computers that sent the first you know, spaceship to the moon. This thing is tremendously powerful. It's got a lot of horsepower underneath this small little thing. But one of the most important components that tech companies try to sell you when they come out with a new phone product is battery life. Think about it. Whether it be Samsung with their new Note 7s or iPhone that just unveiled their new iPhone 7. What are they saying? They're touting battery life as one of the most important specs of this device. Yeah, it has computing power that has doubled over the previous generation. It's got graphics capabilities. It's got different ports. It's got a screen. But all of that is completely useless if my battery dies at noon. Because we understand the value and the necessity of the battery, this is a part of our shopping habits when we look for a device. 
I'm looking for a used smartphone for a missionary friend of mine that wants to bring it back to Russia. And he has contacted me recently. And so I'm on Craigslist this past week looking for, he specifically said he wanted an iPhone 5. And so I've been looking for 5 or 5S. Three years old. That's why I know it's $300. Can you believe it? The 5S came out three years ago. And it's like, what? What is this? This is absurd, right? Absurd. But the number one question that I have for everyone that I've texted or emailed, how's the battery life? Number one question. I can see the scratches, and you can live with the scratches and a few of the things on the rim of it. But the number one question that I have for a phone that is three years old is, how long does the battery last? Because I can give them a phone that is completely in mint condition on the surface, had a screen protector on it, and they tout that on Craigslist, right? Had a screen protector and a case on it all since I've had it. It's in mint condition, whatever that means for a three-year-old phone, right? But I want to know on the inside what you cannot see, does it last all day? What's the condition of the spirit of the Christian? The capacity on the inside to function and to show and display all of these marvelous things on the surface. It's really dependent upon the battery. Just as the lamp is dependent upon the oil, the phone is dependent upon the juice that's inside of it. And then we get to that charger. What is this thing? Because we know the value of this. I, I probably, I would say nine, nine out of ten of us have an external battery of sorts. That we have maybe a USB plug-in port in our car and we can charge our phone midday. Because we understand that the battery doesn't last forever. And it's got to be rejuiced up. It's got to be replenished. And I do it daily. Probably you do the same, unless you have this amazing phone that can last for however long it is, right? But you know to, to, to plug it in every day. And I have to do mine now with this phone that's only two years old. I have to do it midday now because it's just not lasting as long. It's really frustrating, actually. And if you think about the value of an $850 phone coming down to a battery that might have cost the tech company maybe $20, $30. I don't know how much this, this battery costs. Right? And then you come to a cord that probably cost them a couple of bucks to furnish. And when you dwindle, dwindle the value and the functionality of this phone from what it is on the surface, you really come down to saying, okay, i got great battery life, but if I don't have a charger, I mean, it's going to deplete. There's something that we all know, that if we use our phone more than we charge it, it's going to go dead. And so how do I want to parallel this with the Christian life? How do I want to talk about this idea of the Christian appearance and the spirit-filled life of having the presence of God within me and what it means to be connected, what it means to be juiced up, full of power and energy so that we can actually function, so that the screen turns on, so that we can actually utilize our lives as it was meant to, with all of its sophistication, with all of its particular talents and little nuances. The only way to utilize that is if the, ba the battery is juiced up regularly and it's constantly every single day. 
And so the foolish person, let's talk about that side, those five virgins that were foolish. They were the ones that were living only for the now. You know, you all have friends or family members that live for the now, right? It's just about the moment. It's just, you know, I'm just going to live in the moment. I don't care about next year. I don't believe in resolutions. I'm just going to live today as, as is, right? They're living in the now. They'll, they'll keep up appearances, attending church, checking Christian on voting polls and stuff like that. But it's really mainly about this world and the benefits that the world can offer now. That the foolish does not consider spiritual things of primary importance. It's about the here and now, not about treasures in heaven. I want the treasure now. I want to be able to withdraw from it now and experience the benefits of it now. I don't want to put treasure in a place that I'm putting it in like a retirement account, a a spiritual heavenly account. I I want quick access. I want to take it now. I want to withdraw. I want it fluid. But the foolish person only thinks about that now. And it is the wise that thinks about the road that's ahead. The virgins were thinking the lamp is going to burn, but the oil is going to go out, and we do not know when Jesus will come. The bridegroom will come. So we better prepare ourselves for a longer journey. And this parable was clear when it says that the bridegroom delayed himself. In the parable that's after that, the parable of the talents, the master who gave out the talents to the three slaves, the one five, two, and one, it says he also delayed a long time before coming back. And there seems to be an element of the necessity of patience for the Christian life. Patience. To be able to endure a season to be able to go a longer road and not give up. There is that aspect of the Christian life that is so important, patience and perseverance. And the wise were the ones that were saying, okay, we we know not when He will come, only that He will come. And so let us prepare ourselves for a longer road and a longer journey. Let us make sure we have the lamp and that it is a working lamp and it's got some oil inside of it. But let us make sure we're carrying a reserve and replenishing this lamp regularly. That was the distinguishing factor between the foolish and the wise. Because the wise, they realize that lamps are useless without oil. Attending church is useless without a spirit-filled life. Consistent replenishment of oil is necessary. And as I mentioned with our gadget makers, they tout the importance of having a long battery life, fast charging as those new Samsung phones do. Because it's about the continual replenishment of this device that's fundamentally important for its functioning. And in the same way, we need to apply this to our spirit. The Christian life repented one day. I gave my life to Christ as Savior and as Lord. And I welcomed Him in and my life was was set on a new direction. That's great. That's how it begins. A child is born spiritually. It's alive. But in order to grow, there needs to be the constant filling of that Spirit inside of me, the maturation and the growth in my life. It is not good enough that I just started the journey. God wants me to mature and grow through this journey now. I'm a new Christian. I have a lamp and I got the Spirit inside of me. 
but it's the path that's in front of me that God wants to be glorified through. And so I need to apply this lesson to my spiritual condition. And so the main idea, going back to that, if I'm not praying daily, I'm trying to operate with a dead battery. Um, As I think about my life and one of the decisions that I've made within the last month going forward for however long I live would be a a commitment that I make before the Lord to if it be feasible and possible and intentional on my behalf, I want to sit with God every single day. And now I know I can do it in the car and I know I can do it while sitting in my office or in any other season and there's an aspect of Scripture that teaches us to pray continually without ceasing, right? That doesn't mean being on my knees and and praying for my day 24 hours a day. But there is something important about me coming before the Lord and taking the lesson of the manna in the wilderness. You know when Israel left Egypt and, you know, they're wandering in this wilderness for years and they're getting hungry and... They don't have the same food that they did back in Egypt and they're complaining to Moses. We're hungry. We'd rather have died there with our stomachs full than die here. Free, but starving. And by God's grace, through Moses' leadership, he provides manna and quail to come. And it's done daily. And there was a specific command that Moses gave to everyone of Israel. This manna will come every single morning. It will be like a a flaky dew on the ground. And you will gather it like you do flour. But I want you to know something, that when you gather it, only gather it for a day. Don't try to gather for two, but actually the day before the Sabbath you can do two, because I'm not going to require you to gather on the Sabbath, because God wants you to rest on the Sabbath. So the day before the Sabbath, gather two days worth, but every other day only gather one day. And He gave that Direction, and I'll call it even a warning. And some people, they went out and they, they got a little greedy. You know what? I don't want to come out tomorrow. I'm just going to gather enough for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And they gather and they bring it home, right? And bring it to their tents. And the, the day after, it begins to spoil. And the lesson was clear. The manna was to be gathered daily. And I think there's an important lesson there. When you think about natural bread and spiritual bread, the natural condition and the spiritual condition, there is something about coming before God and getting mercies new every day. Not relying upon what I gathered yesterday, the inspiration of yesterday, the direction of yesterday, but today I'm seeking a fresh presence and portion. A new mercy today. And that's something that God has seared on my heart and something that I'm striving to be faithful in each morning, sitting with God in a a morning huddle with Him and saying, God, what will this day offer me? What Do you have any desires or commands or directives? What do you want to teach me today? Just sitting with Him in His presence, asking for that, trying to listen and also to speak. 
And as I project that also onto our church, what's happening on Fridays, it's just a small gathering. We're gathering probably about a dozen people on Fridays, sometimes slightly a little bit more than that. And the focus I had from the beginning is it's not about the numbers. It's about consistency. It's not about getting every single body that comes on a Sunday into this small room on a Friday. But it's about when we gather, we will consistently gather to pray that there is something perpetually going up, an incense that arises before God, a fresh stick that is lit every single day because I understand this will not go two days. And I, and I take a new stick and I light it the next day and this aroma arises before God that is my prayer. And so from that first Friday, we started a prayer chain just to say, you know what, God, there will be somebody from City Chapel that lights an incense stick for you today. There will be a prayer offered by somebody in our church today, each day. And it's just going to daisy chain and daisy chain what we pray for. It's not a long list, but just getting up before the Lord and being a representative of the lamp of, of, of City Chapel and replenishing that day's oil and just praying before Him and just saying, God, I'm up. That's the, the motivation and the heart behind what we're trying to do at Friday Upper Room. And my cry that I have in my heart as I was praying and getting ready for today is that we as a church would be a praying church. We can be a lot of things. Right? We can be a lot of things and we want to be a serving church and a humble church and a courageous church and a faith-filled church and a growing church. We want to be a, a deepening church, a widening church. We want to be a generational church. We want to be a, a planting church. There are all of these descriptions that we need to be as a church. But one of the things that we cannot forget is we need to be a praying church. We need to be a connected church. Because why? Our generation is different from the generation that is before us. How our parents did church is very different from how we are called to do church. What God was doing in the world yesterday and what He will do today it is not identical. What He wants to do in our community or our family or our workplace or our lives as individuals, is different today. It's never identical from yesterday. There is a new mercy, a new directive, a strategy of sorts that God can implement and give to us. And so if we want to be an effective church, a healthy church, we need to be a praying church. And a praying church is filled by praying individuals. It is not when we gather, we're gonna, you know, every single time we gather, we'll have prayer times. We're a praying church. That is not the praying church I'm talking about. The praying church I'm talking about is a church of individual prayer sticks accumulating themselves in a larger fire that when we gather there is corporate prayer, but it is a church filled with individuals that are connected with God. That when we gather we can influence others and serve others in that spirit of prayer. We serve our community in that prayer. We serve our generation in that prayer. But to be a praying church, and that is a deep admonishment and encouragement that I have for you today. Be a praying individual. A praying individual. And as often as you charge your phone, charge your spirit. If you will not take your laptop on a business trip without your charger... Do not try to live your Christian life without one as well. 
Don't trust in battery capacity. You know, I got a large battery. I can go a week without praying, you know. Yes, great. Don't trust in battery capacity. Because when there's heavy volume of stuff going through the computer or phone, it depletes it fast. When crisis hits and everything is going on full steam, your battery is depleting quickly. So don't trust in the size or the capacity to hold some energy. Be a person that is connected daily. When I get, I get nervous when I see red, right? Actually, even before it's red, when it gets to half, I get nervous with my phone. Because, I, really, it's just, I get, I get nervous because it doesn't last all day. And I'm starting to carry a char- I never did this before. I'm starting to carry a charger in my backpack, right? I never had to charge this thing in my car before, but now I am. As you examine your heart, this screen may be your face, how you interface and your functionality in the world. Have a phone that has a lot of functions. Have a life that is talented and diverse and can do a lot of great things. Make sure it's powered by the Holy Spirit inside. Make sure you're aware that all of the functions is useless if it's not powered by God. If He's not the source of my energy and the motivation behind my actions, I I don't have a battery, spiritually speaking. And I need, if I want to be effective spiritually, I need to have a spiritual battery. I need to have the presence of God inside. And then, think about what it means to be connected through prayer. And I want to encourage you, to rise daily, to rise daily in prayer. It is one thing to go to bed and pray before you sleep, but it is another to rise in the day. And I think we approach our day differently if we, arise, if we rise in prayer. When we, I go to bed, we're kind of like recapping our day and saying thank you for this. But when we rise, we're rising with a different mentality. We're asking God for strategy, for direction, for courage, for His presence. And then we go about our day with the charge. And I want you to think of it like a fast charger, right? You know, it's not like I only plugged it in for five minutes. Man, dang, it only went to halfway. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good, right? Don't think about the duration. Because if you start plugging in, make it larger it's faster than Samsung's fast charging I'm sure of it I'm sure of it but don't be focused on the time but be focused on the consistency and the frequency and as you do that just like you plug in every day I'm sure that the quality and the depth of that prayer moment in those times will become so much stronger and vibrant. And so I end. You guys come back. It's really a recap of what I've just said. Plug into God's presence each day. 
I, I, I can't reinforce this enough. As much as you charge your phone, charge your spirit through prayer. Through prayer. Of open reflection in the Word, meditation, declaration, petitioning, interceding, worshiping. But plug into God each day. And we've all ex- experienced <laughs> oh, the dread of the phone dying. We've all experienced it, right? I mean, has anyone not experienced that? We've all experienced it, okay, right? The moment we're on the call, we're just like, and it just like blacks out, right? And it's gone. Like, oh, great, I can't use this thing anymore. It's like a piece of junk. All it is is a paperweight now, right? And we've all experienced that. And when the phone dies, really all you have to do, whether it's been dead for a day or a week, what is the only thing you need to do? Just plug it back in, right? All you need to do is plug it in. And as soon as you plug it in, the iPhone, like, if it's been dead for a while, it doesn't boot up right away. I don't know if, 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 uh, if Samsung phones are like that too, right? And then it gives you this little faint icon of, oh, you plugged it in. Thank you for plugging it in. It's like a little nod. Thank you. All right, you plugged it in. But it doesn't power on yet, you know? And it does that for a few minutes, right? And so if you've been dead for a while, haven't plugged into God, I think your prayer life is going to feel a little like, lull. Like, I'm pl- uh, thank you, you plugged in, okay? But you're not really getting any. It's not really juiced up yet. Your screen hasn't turned on. Your spirit is not vibrant. It's not showing vivid colors yet. But just stay plugged in. Just stay plugged in. Because after a while, after it kind of gets that initial plateau and you overcome that tipping point, bing, and the screen turns white and it's got this little black icon there. I'm like, yeah, great. It's going to turn on now, right? And I think that moment will hit for you. And so my second is this, that if your spirit is currently dead or depleted, hope is not lost. Just plug in again and just stay plugged in. And as you plug in through prayer, screen is going to turn on again. And then spiritually speaking, you'll be able to function and do things with vibrance and effectiveness. That's my prayer for me. It's my prayer for you. And that's my prayer for our church. Amen.